Hi everyone, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons, where um, so what they featured them, yeah. So my sorry, that should be so yeah. Or unfortunately, I can't say with me in Russian. I do apologize. But speaking of other languages, this fellow has claimed he can indeed speak giant. My friend, who are you? I, I have made that such claims in the past. Yes, my name is Zach Neyu. Uh, I in the DM for I Speak Giant. I also stream a little bit. I also write and design here and there, higgledy-piggledy. Um, I have been very lucky enough to be sponsored by Wizards of the Coast. I've also written for official D&D things. Um, yeah, and I'm here to, to, to talk uh, endlessly, as is my general vibe on D&D, until someone tells me to stop and to go away. Uh, okay, I, I promise to be to, to use the polite versions of those. Um, <laughs> now, now, Zach, um, I okay. So the, the the first thing we we started doing this year on this podcast is we always have a bit of a chat about something to kind of get our game design brains switched on. Uh, now, this is from things we think about games, uh, the same book I use every week or whenever I record this. Um, okay, so. Unless the rules say otherwise, assume players can examine each other's components at any time to count how many money chits, I think that word is said that way, uh, they have, for example. Uh, now, the, the little notes, just to kind of summarize, um, this doesn't mean it's acceptable to just reach over and fumble with someone else's counters and tokens. Uh, the assumption is um, largely how terrible this may be if, if you felt the need to obfuscate your pieces. Now, this doesn't count if it's cards, because... You know, card games, sure. you hide your cards. That's just how that works in most card games. Please don't at me. I don't care. Um, your thoughts on this? My thoughts. I like, I like, a like, you know, I think, I think that's a fair, it's, it's an interesting distinction between like certain resources should be available to know by the other players, whatever game you're playing. Mm. It makes it interesting, even if it's not like uh, it, it it implies something about the world sometimes i don't know if i'm talking from like a tabletop role-playing game experience even though that might be not be the the game that it's talking about um i feel like it implies something about the world if if, if knowledge is shared between the players it implies something so if like if you were playing a more uh combative game between the players let's say, and let's say it's not like Dungeons and Dragons, it's some kind of system set up to have PvP battles or whatever, and everyone could know each other's uh, spell slots, like those were represented by chits on the table, then it would imply that, um, you know, how much magical energy someone has in reserve is something visible to other players in world, you know what I mean? Mm. Which I think is cool. I think I think it's cool to have uh, abstractions of information in the real world. Yeah, I, I'm and I wish also, I could do that. I'm, more I'm also now thinking there's there's definitely at least one person out there who sells spell slot like metal spell slot tokens. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I I, cool. I I just want to imagine how awesome they made the the, the level nine spell slot token look. <laughs> it's just a floating orb. It's one of those things, you know, when you get those like magnetic little chambers that house like a floating yeah, object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that. That's your. That's your nice. It, level it's either something like that or something that is like you know the size of a saucer, like in in circumference or diameter <laughs> or whatever. 
but the weight of like a house brick. <laughs> it's made of pure lead. Yeah, powered kill. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> destroys any table it's landed upon. Yeah, it's like the it's like the chaos orb from uh, Magic: The Gathering. Any anything this touches. Um, but I, I like I wanna... that. I like that as oh, as as like it, like I wish I could do that more. There's many limitations of doing an audio podcast for Dungeons and Dragons, which when you start doing an audio podcast, you realize how much of D&D is actually physical, like how much is in expressions, how much is in like getting up from the table in a dramatic fashion. Mm. And one of the things is like, I wish I could give uh, more physical stuff to my players to represent it, like letters and notes and whatnot. Um, the reason I don't is because I want it to be primarily an audio experience, of course, but like, yeah, it makes sense. there is that element that's lost, I think. I mean, hey, potentially something to throw in the streams. Mm, yeah, that's true. I, I kind of want to say uh, my family does this with Monopoly. Um, and this is because one of my younger brothers... Okay, so I'm I'm from a family of six children. Um, this is, Don't worry, everyone. This is not a standard thing for Australians. We're not breeding. Uh, well, I'm, a, I'm from a family of four children, so... Okay, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, maybe it is. I don't know. Bridge, maybe it bridge is. Mike Rabbit's down here. Um, and, and, okay, so we had multiple sets of Monopoly in our house, and we were playing, and one time my younger brother took all the money from the other set and hid it in his pockets. And we had no idea. And so uh-huh. Uh-huh. we had no idea how much money he had, but we had ours in front of us, like, you know, like you know, responsible human beings. Um, he, on the other hand, whenever he landed on anything, would just reach into his pocket, just pull out a wad of notes, organize what he needed, hand it over, and then just like stuff it back in. And we had no idea how badly we were being played. Yeah, that's kind of genius. It is. It is a little bit like supervillain, but it is... It, it, it was a little bit. I, I think my problem with, with this would be, I don't know if I'd want this with something like uh, Dungeons & Dragons because I would not... I would not want someone looking over my shoulder and going, oh, by the way, it's... it's... Sorry, I, I, I realise I'm going away from the microphone and that's kind of the point at the moment. <laughs> oh, by the way, if, if you were to uh, you know do this thing, then I could do that. Yeah, excuse me. Go away. I'm now going to do the opposite of the thing you suggested. I'm going to make... I wish to make friends with the monster. Yeah. There is there is that interesting part of D&D that's like... In, like, the Avengers or whatever. Like an Avengers movie. You see all the different heroes, like, teaming up and using their, like, uh, abilities, like, uh, synergistically. Mm. And I feel like that doesn't actually happen that much in D&D, which is a shame. I think it would be cool if there was, like, more stuff like that. Mm. I think that the, the Battlemaster fighter is excels at that kind of thing. They can, like, make other people do attacks and, and different stuff, like set up moves for other people to go. Um, but it, it's not, like, you can... And you can cast buffing spells and stuff, clerics and, and wizards and, and whatnot are good at that. But I feel like there's a lack of, like... I, I toyed around with the idea of of being initiative being kind of binary, where it was like now it's the monsters go, the monsters all move and do stuff. Now it's the heroes go, and then and it gives you a chance more to be like, okay, well I'm going to do this, which will set up you to do this, and like I will say, um, burn bright. 
has a couple mm. of mechanics that do that. Um, oh, yeah. it, it has a thing where you can use any skill you want to do anything you can justify it for. Um, mm. So it's 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 good, I would say, for you know fairly new uh, people to the hobby who haven't done a lot of stuff. But it's also really good for you know people who have been in the hobby for a while and are just absolute rules lawyering bending dickheads. <laughs> And both of yeah. us, I assume, know someone like this. Oh, sure. You run into them, don't you? Sometimes they're useful. Uh, um, oh, absolutely. And I've, I feel like I've been that person. We've all been, that, like, we've all been that person, um, Zach. Actually, the rule is this. Like, do, like, I, think it's, I think it is important to know the rule. Like, here's the thing about rules lawyering that I think gets a bad rap. I think it is important to know the rules so that you can break them. I think it is not... Uh, it can be fun and, and fine to just not give a shit and, and go where you will, right? Totally in for that. But I think it is also, I think it can be more interesting to know the rules and know when it is dramatically appropriate to break them in favor of something cool. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I, th- I think for a dungeon master, that gives us leeway to do super cool shit, which is, you know, what yeah. the players want at the end of the day. They don't want an easy run. They want... Yeah. things to feel tricky now that you know look within the confines of the safety of the game the expectations of everything that we're after but yeah i i think so yes um but anyways burnbright sorry um burnbright has this thing where you can use skills like knowledge or computers or engineering to give advantage to other people so you know you could say use well i want to use engineering to turn off the the gravity in that room so that um or, sorry, I want to use engineering to turn off the lights in that room so that my guy who can see in the dark perfectly, you know, can, can you know, go shoosty-shoosty and not get hit. Right. So you can have right. those kind of moments of burn bright. I think that system's actually much better than D&D for that kind of thing. Yeah. Also, this is, if you've played um, 7C, it's very much like that as well. I have not. Which is one of my favorite. It's very, like, uh, swashbuckling rogues and piracy and on the high seas and... It's all set. the The setting is like a very, just like palette swapped Europe, during about you know the seventeen eighteen hundreds. It's really really good, and is is entirely that. And not only like that, but like with your you know with your when you roll a die and roll a skill, you get a certain amount of successes, advantages, raises. I think they're called. Mm. Um, and you can spend them like let's say you like you you roll a riding skill. Uh, in the middle of a street fight, you can use some of those successes to establish that there is a horse there, you know, which is a cool element of like narrative control where it's like, you not only, it's not only you doing the thing, it's establishing that the world is like complicit in you doing a thing kind of thing, which is, which is a really cool way to do it as well. Mm. And also, yeah, like you said, like you can, there is, there is a definitive rule around using your raises to create an advantage that is must be used by another player but that will give them an incredible success like a higher a higher success than than a normal okay then that's 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 pretty cool yeah it's a really good it's a really really good system i was actually lucky enough to be run through it by the the designer oh wow whose name is john wick which is ridiculous but um yeah, oh gosh, it's, it's an accredited. It's gosh, done. That's cool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> John Wick is coming out with a killer system this summer. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. god, with a bullet. Yeah. yeah, it's it's called um January twenty sixth. It's about that time <laughs> the, the Australians threw their governor in the harbor. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let's bring back that that let's bring that tradition on January the twenty sixth. Oh, please. All get drunk do. and just throw yes. governors in the harbor. Yeah, dunk them. Yep. Anyways, um, now you you said you've done some writing. Um, you confirmed with me to make sure that i got it right um because <laughs> i was wrong when i made my assumption uh you did some writing on the penny arcade the acquisitions incorporated DD book i did i've done some writing for them i've actually done also done some freelance uh writing for netflix um which was just like a real runoff thing oh cool uh, i'm not sure if they end up actually using the content but it was very fun i uh, it was just essentially just like designing magic items and, and whatnot for, uh, for social media purposes, but yeah. That's and really so cool. for, um, for the acquisitions incorporated D and D book, which was, uh, officially licensed by WotC, which is fun because then you get to use, like, you can reference beholders and stuff like that and not have to worry that they're going to sue your ass. Um, <laughs> um, I got to design some random tables and just like a, a bunch of different like flavorful uh bits and pieces throughout the book that's really cool and and, and yeah what, what am i allowed to ask about the uh, any of the magic items that you uh designed um for for acquisitions incorporated yes. um I didn't design any of the magic items directly. I, I We did a lot of, like, the... So, like, they had their own random trinket table. Okay. And they had, like, different... There was some really cool stuff around uh, flavoring your barbarian. Each class had their own, like, little... Add a little, little backstory wrinkle. Or add in a little... Uh, one of my favorite ones that we came up with was, like, for sorcerers... Uh, based on it was just like kind of a flavorful description of based on what like uh, class of spell you had memorized more of mm -hmm. so if you were like new mo mo mostly illusion spells uh it would have kind of a physical effect on your body like the ends of your fingertips would go would start to fade and you're like your the ends of your hair would kind of like go off into wisps and you know stuff like that there was just like a lot of little flavorful things that we gave for people who are just wanting to give a little bit of depth and a little bit of color to the world okay that's pretty cool i uh I, I would like the idea of a um you know maybe someone who casts a sorcerer who casts a lot of fire spells like you know they're just like standing there with a pipe and just light it with their finger kind of thing yeah 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 um as for the other thing i'm not sure if i can talk about much about the other thing because they they haven't I don't think they ever Netflix ever used the the little well, piece I gave them. Well, let's not get you in trouble. <laughs> okay. Well, all I was going to say that uh, I took a swing at designing some sorcerer spells that I thought was cool. In that the in the in the PHB uh, they don't have any solely sorcerer only spells as far as I I remember. So I threw in some spells that like were sorcerer only and then had unique. Uh, effects when you spent sorcery points when you cast it which i thought was fun okay yeah that'd be cool i i, I will confess i've never played a sorcerer um i've had a wizard i've got a warlock um i've done cleric i did druid for a little while but i haven't done sorcery yet so oh sorcery is my favorite sorcerer is my favorite oh class. okay if i get it, if i get the opportunity to to, to play i 
play a sorcerer every time. Cool. How come? I think it, it it's it's like a very flexible class in terms of like what you can do on a turn. Like I feel very much like when I played a wizard, it was like you get to cast your spell, and that's like that's your turn, basically. There's there's very few bonus action spells. There's very few ways to like get more out of your turn. Hmm. Uh, but they're a very powerful class. Whereas sorcery, when you, when you're playing a sorcerer, it feels like you've got your foot on a gas pedal, and you just have to manage how far you push it every combat because you can quickly run out of gas. <laughs> sorcery points essentially. Uh, they quickly burn up like nothing. But, you know, you can do incredible things. You can, at the outset of a fight, you can twin cast a polymorph and turn your two, like, squishy backline fighters who are out of spell slots into T-Rexes and then have them just, like, go buck wild on the enemies. Like, you can do incredible things. It just costs a lot. But you've got to get this, like, Nova ability. Um, but, plus, I like like illusions and stuff like that and i think sorcerers can do like a lot of cool stuff with like forcing disadvantage on saving throws around illusions Hmm. i i I actually also just had a thought if you could maybe polymorph and merge your two friends into one by rhinosaurus right (laughs) or like a like a giant ape riding a a a t-rex that's some, that's Everyone some, excusing I'm just writing stuff. shit down for a second. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm an inveterate rogue. And for me, it's it's the fact that rogues are probably the most annoying class for a dungeon master to try and deal with. Yeah. Because they break so many things. It's like, yeah. oh, look, I took the alert feat. So not only can I sneak up, you will never sneak up on me as long as I'm awake. Yeah. You can't hit you with with deck saves. You can't hit you with like I've got a monk, which I think like monks fall into a very similar category of like it's really hard. They've got a really high AC, even if you hit them, it's like they've got a lot of HP. Throwing a fireball at them is basically like pissing in the wind. Yeah, uh, my dungeon master once hit me for forty eight damage or so, and it's like all right, well I'll just take uh, okay. Well I failed the the save, so you know I take half. Yeah. Yeah. Or, just, or like if that's freely. a direct just... attack if that's a direct attack you can just use a reaction to like uncanny dodge or whatever. yeah 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 it, it was it was exactly that it's like well josh that's 48 damage no that's only 12 in my case just... <laughs> it's a very satisfying class to, to play i think yeah wonderfully broken but that's that's cool stuff um now you have been running i speak giant for roughly how long I think this is, I think, three years. I oh, think damn, three son. Years, That's really cool. Which is, a, which is a hell of a lot of time to be playing a single campaign. Cool. Um, um, so, so one of the things I'd love to know is, what, what are your kind of ways that you inspire yourself to come up with cool stuff um, in your mm-hmm. homebrew worlds? Like, you know, what, what does it for you? In, 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 in my case, I love going through monster manuals and you can see a cool oh, yeah. monster and you say, hey, wait a second. Let's think about the world that this thing exists in. Yeah, I think that was my first, my first big uh, inspiration, and my first like thing that like started me thinking about the whole original campaign of I Speak Giant because we've we've done two campaigns. They were they were the same characters, but I kind of split them into two campaigns, just narratively, kind of. Um, but yeah, like th- flipping through the monster manual, I remember like very much early on when i was getting into D, flipping through the five which i got into through 5e um seeing the aboleth 
and I was just like, what? Yeah, is this? I remember you mentioned that thing in in one of your episodes, and I thought, yeah, the Avalos yeah. is a cool monster. That thing's been yeah, that thing's been like, in there since second ed. Yeah, yeah, and I was just like, what if this monster was like found its way into uh, underneath a city? And from there, started to take people's minds over, and like slowly, like started throwing this like very silent revolution. Like, and then I was like, okay, why would they be sent? Like, they're very eldritch, like ancient creature. And like from there, the first whole campaign kind of like unraveled from there, as well as uh, so the other place I, I pull my inspiration is just like history. So hearing something cool from history is like a great way. So the first whole campaign is about this uh general mm. general erebor who gets kind of uh she's a very popular general and she was also very australian from, from... she was very australian it was actually that was a that was one of those like in the moment things i'm just like i guess she's just awkward as hell um but yeah she was like uh i was i was learning through actually matthew colville's videos which is a great resource i think um about generals in ancient Rome who would get too popular and then the Senate would then stop using them in war to stop them getting too popular to then stop them, you know, pulling a coup. Yeah, like um, like Gaius Marius did. Yes, yeah, 100%. And so that's kind of the whole initial, the first, like, inciting incident in the first campaign, the first part of the podcast is uh, the king going out instead and then is betrayed and, and killed. And then they have to... And then by the time they, the survivors of that betrayal get back to the to civilization, they've realized that she's pulled off her coup in the meantime. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, inspiration, like... I think it's also... Uh, I mean, movies, TV, like any piece of media I watch is basically at this point just a being thrown in the in the fires of me trying to think up more campaigns um but the other thing i think to i mean we've yeah been going for three years now um is to and i didn't take my own advice on this find a good ending like you don't have to do a three-year campaign you don't have to do like a 10-year campaign which i've seen some people do i think i think doing like a year long or six months have a definitive end in sight and then you can always do you know set your next campaign up in the future of that of that world whatever however it turns out have you um, have you looked at unbound from grant howard no Un- is unbound is great unbound is like it, okay to, to to kind of give it its full props Un- unbound is a book where if you have that book you may not need any other book because it allows oh, you yeah. to make any kind any it's essentially like if you just took D as the d20 system from D and had someone explain yep. to you okay here's how you could make this work with steampunk here's how you could make this work with you know warhammer 40k type horrible dystopian futurism here's how you could make with you know usual fantasy stuff but it has the rule of once that mission's done, you're done. Yeah. But you can yeah. come... And he said, look, he ran a camp... Like, he ran campaigns that evolved the nature of that world, but where they, you know, the DM changed and they just kind of, like, changed things up all over the place. Um, and and 
I, I, I agreed. And I thought, that's really cool for two reasons. A, um, yes, it's got a definite stop, start. That's great. That's how you craft a narrative. Um, and B, it means that because everyone kind of pitches in and DMs, that yeah. the, the dungeon master doesn't burn out. Yeah. Which... Which is a which is a thing that happens. Yeah, we, we burn out. Like last year, I think we spent about a third of our time playing not Dungeons and Dragons and played something that was run by you know one of the other members of the of the group. Um, partially because I needed a break because I was dying, um, mm. but 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 also because you know it, it's kind of nice to share that round. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see, and it gives you ideas. Like I think, what. I think this is kind of like a DMing and, and tabletop and stuff is having this like renaissance, I think. And part of what is, part of what's, you know, being any other kind of artist, whether you're, and, and I use that term loosely, I, I, but you know, you know, we're writing story, we're performing story. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a form in there. Mm. I think what's, what's easy about other forms of, of entertainment is that you have a wealth of you know uh media to draw on and that you've already drawn on throughout your whole life movies tvs films we all watch these we've all just like passively taken them in over our life what we haven't done as much is experience tabletop narratives being and 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 playing through them ourselves Mm. um maybe you have since you were like you know 10 or or maybe you're just getting into it now but comparatively less to any other kind of media and so having the opportunity to sit down and and play in someone else's game or play with other people is super valuable it's it's a it's a rare thing compared to every other kind of media that you've experienced in your life i think Hmm. for most people at least yeah i mean in 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 our case as well it was in some ways unfair because we had my youngest brother essentially dm a uh, blades in the dark one shot and that was his first time dungeon mastering anything um yeah so we were all as supportive as we could be but i think it <laughs> did throw him in the deep end a little bit um, <laughs> yeah look sometimes you just gotta gotta let him swim yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I, th- I think yeah i mean it's 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 really tricky making that that jump i've done a lot of i did a panel at pax not last year, obviously, the year before. Um, about, <laughs> we don't talk about last year, do we, Zach? About, no, no, it didn't exist. Um, about just the, about that very topic of just like, okay, or maybe it was the year before that. Um, but it was like, how, how do you go from being a player or wanting to get into it to sitting behind the screen? Because a lot of people think it's like, oh, you know, you have to be born under the right, you know, sign of the moon under a certain constellation. And it's, it's, it's none of those things. It's literally just doing it. Yeah. What was what would you recommend as a good one to start on? Because I would I would be say, look, if you're going to play fifth head, just start with Lost Minor Fendelva. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, I really like it. It's it's a really good one for. It's got a strong start to it. Uh, I think it opens up kind of weirdly. There's suddenly all this stuff where it's like, now there's the there's the miner on the other side of town, and there's the farmer who has a problem, and you start to feel. I think it then starts to feel very like video game, like you're in the first hub world, and there's all these people with side quests, mm. and that can bog a, a a table down. 
So if you're going to do fans of Minds of Fandelva, put that in a little bit, but don't like feel like you have to stick to. I think I, I played like first time I played, the DM was like, "Okay, I've got it now. You got to go talk to this person because they have a quest for you." And I was like, "That doesn't. I don't know if. I mean, we can just do this a little more smoothly." I think. I think. Yeah, I look. I, like, I'd say you know. Yeah, I, I would agree. It can feel a bit video gamey, but there's parts of that that are kind of that um that that bridging mechanism where it's like mm. oh okay i know how that works in another medium i can apply it here which which, yeah. is, which is good and bad you know it, it it gives you some training wheels you know to, to get started but yeah for sure i think yeah i think i personally like a a like the whole bullshit like discussion between what is uh railroading and what is open sandbox i think is i i think railroading is is when the dm is just not very good at what they're doing and that's fine people need to learn mm. but I, I i don't think inherently having a structured narrative that uh is gonna go a certain way is bad you know I mean, considering the fact that books, movies, TV shows, graphic novels, everything else has a structured narrative. Like, e even Skyrim has a structured narrative. It just yeah. gives you a lot of other opportunities to go and, you know, become the head of the Mages Guild, the Fighters Guild, the Thieves Guild, kill the Emperor, you know, all this other stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I like, like, I think it's, I mean, I've I've had various degrees of, like, going back and forth on how much sandbox I should put into my campaigns and how, how linear I should be. And I'd never been right. I think it's a case of being right. I think it's a case of just being as, 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 as least wrong as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's like, it's just a thing that you, I think I would I would highly uh, recommend people to experiment with the thing they haven't done if they've done one or the other. Yeah. I did it in in various campaigns. Like for one of the recent ones, uh, the recent arc of the campaign, it was basically I just it was basically like Die Hard but with giants. So they were just like stuck in a big tower and there was all this stuff going on, and I didn't have this like mapped out path through of what was going to happen. I let it be very kind of chaotic and and see what the players came up with and it was really cool and it was really good it was a really good arc hmm. i i admittedly am running a um curse of Strahd, but he's a railway baron so my players have been railroaded Ooh. once or twice <laughs> <laughs> there was no choice <laughs> no yeah. you're getting on the train shut up <laughs> um yeah and yeah I, but I, I i agree with you and i think it's i think it's actually a large part of the fun of D D. And this is something we mentioned before. Um, knowing when to break the rules is fun. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, and and that's that's a great time because you can surprise, like you can surprise oh. them with something. But also when they break your rules mm. or your narratives flow, and you're like, I, I don't have. Okay, cool. Yeah, go for it. All right, let's let's yeah. see where you're going with this. Yeah, I think I think it's always scary. Like I, I remember one of the the arcs of the podcast 
was this whole big murder mystery. And I was like, had all this stuff planned. And then I didn't know that the warlock could just cast Speak with Dead on the dead bodies, which is a very large piece of information that we had then. But I, it's just, it's one of those things where you just got to like, all right, you just got to lean in and you got to like adapt. And it's way better to be like, okay, this, I have to completely redo what I was thinking. Then be like, oh, no, there's a special spell on them that means they can't do that. Like, that's where I think people get annoyed with railroading. That, that's pretty true. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd flail at that point. Like, I am... Uh, shit, they were wearing a mask. I don't know. <laughs> oh. that, that, I mean, that's what kind of, like, they were like they were a robed figure. Like, uh, but they still got pieces of useful information. Yeah. It's finding that way to... I mean, I... Dungeons and Dragons, as much as it is always tempting for me to try and do that, to, to have some, to, to do the, um, the, uh, big mystery, uh, it's, and, and the, like, whodunit kind of arc, it's so hard to do in D&D. I don't think it's built for it. Well, I don't know. The mystery's a candle keep. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll see. I haven't, I, I haven't read it yeah. myself, so, you know. Yeah, I should, I should give that a, give, give that a whirl. Cool. Now, um, what one other thing I kind of joked about? Um, you you did say that you could speak giant, and then you kind of said, actually, Josh, I haven't spoken giant in some time. <laughs> it fades. It fades over time. What what language would you say would be closest to giant? To giant? Uh, I mean, it's a very it's a it's a it's a language of like the uh, people who are hardy and rugged and live in the mountains and. I think I think it's Russian. It's definitely Russian. I think. Mm, that's possible, my drug. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, See, I, that's, I would actually that's, lend on it too, giant. especially for Goliaths. I'd be mean, like, yeah, those those yeah. guys are clearly, you know, that that bunch of people are clearly speaking some kind of Slavic, yeah. you know, yeah. viciousness. Yeah, it's definitely a, a an Eastern European feel to to giant. I feel like, yeah. And no offense to to people from Eastern Europe. Well, you know, my wife's from Siberia and my granddad was Polish. So, you know, trust me, on, on behalf of those two groups, the problem. Um, yeah, because I completely speak for every, like for that chunk of the population. <laughs> Although there's a, there's a contingent that I want to say, like, you could you could make the argument that Draconic is the bit is a bit Russian. Like, I, I, I can assume... imagine, like, a big old dragon on top of its horde, just like... I, I assumed... Sukobliet, like... No, I assume dragon would be something like a really old form of Greek or Latin or something. Mm, yeah, I think I think that's fair. Like a like a Latin or a you could do it like a very like a, a sinuous like 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 Italian or Gaelic. Oh, imagine a Gaelic dragon. I'm gonna learn Gaelic. I, just I, to, I did just once to attempt to learn Irish, and I I wouldn't say no 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 no. That's a fey language. <laughs> Oh, that's where yeah, that belongs. I mean, that's true. Let's be let's be fair. Yeah. You know, you're gonna be you're gonna be throwing a leprechaun, not nah, mate. That's um, it's <laughs> Gaelic, mate. Um, I, I was actually just thinking as well. There's a uh, metal band called Glory Hammer. Um, mm. okay. Their first album is called Tales. It, okay, their first album is about a guy called Angus McFife who's off to kill a sorcerer called Zagathrax. In the Sweet. second Sweet. album, they go into space. And in the and the third album is okay. Y'all have been playing at this table way too long. 
you you're clearly <laughs> up leveled up to level 25 you saved the world once there's only the universe come on like you know this is a bit silly um it, it's very good and silly but they do have a song where they chant in latin and if you go and look up the uh translation of that latin into english it just means meaningless latin chanting <laughs> that's good which i i respect yeah. the uh the everything there on um but yeah, yeah i'd, I'd say draconic's like you know latin like you know it's 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 one of those you know it, it's like that intellectual property written by that person who kind of is not very nice really based what she wrote on latin like lumis yeah i get it it's from the latin illumination yeah mm. Yeah, Latin has always been magic, standard magic language. Yeah, I suspect it's because of the Catholic Church. That'd probably be it. Yeah, we should we should we should start a new one right here, right now. It's all magic is just going to be spoken in like French, French. It's <laughs> a real sacre bleu, just like Bleu-le, throwing out play? spells. <laughs> <laughs> Mon ami, you cast friends. <laughs> But I mean, like, is it good? It's a good, um, <laughs> that's very good. Thank you. Um, but what you were saying before about like, uh, like the first album is them like going to kill an evil wizard and then into space. And then it's like, it gets hard. But another thing I've found about, um, like this campaign, it's going on, you know, three years, 160 odd episodes. Uh, we're getting into like, uh, like I'm finding it difficult to draw from media because media doesn't have a lot of examples of uh fantasy heroes who get to this level of power of being like 15th level 16th level it gets to be it gets to be the problem of superman which is like really 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 powerful uh nothing can really stop you except for the one thing we've said can stop you and so now every narrative is around the one thing that can stop you um in the case of superman which is kryptonite but more that like i what i find myself drawing inspiration from is actually like old myths and legends and about like stealing fire and like conceptual uh like uh, origin myths as these characters go from being like the village hero to now uh, affecting the world on like a metaphysical play uh, kind of aspect mm. or, or if you're um wanting to reference terry pratchett's the last hero returning fire to the gods yeah yeah that would be fun um, actually pratchett too is such an inspiration Pr- pratchett just I, I one thing i love about his writing like when you read about his when you read his writing about his writing he's like yeah, because I steal shit from, like, all the stories that have already been told. <laughs> like, yeah, where else do you think I get my ideas from? <laughs> cool. But I love, I love, like, I think that, like, his, all of his stories, I feel like, were about, in the end, people learning to be better people. Or people failing to be better people. And sometimes these people aren't people, like, they're, like, trolls or... or strange monsters but learning to be kind of a better person is the kind of central thesis of his of his work and i think it's it's 
it's something that I thought about probably too late in the process of, of doing my campaign. But thinking about that, like, okay, what is this actually? What am I doing here? Like, what am I? Mm. Am I a, is this whole thing about something, or am I just like chopping down giants and stuff? And that's like because I was lucky enough to have a long-running campaign like this. Yeah, that that that's that's a pretty fair thing. Like, yeah, I mean, I would love to say that I kind of came at um my thing was um you know the the idea of capitalism versus parochialism although now it's really just capitalism kind of makes us into monsters doesn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean I, it does kind of like mine is a lot about like okay if you have power you have the obligation to use that for good and if you don't nah. use it for good it kind of makes you a monster a nah. little bit like <laughs> that's fine uh, one day i'll have power fine. it'll be great yeah. uh <laughs> cool um now i've i've taken up a lot of your time um but you've been really really lovely um so so coming on to the the last thing we we always generally ask other than hey where can people find you um zach how do you take care of yourself like i i joked at the start you know when you said is there anything you want to know i was like i don't know grooming habits because you know <laughs> thank you um uh self-care i think is, is really important and it's different for every person i remember tweeting about this once where i was just like what do you do after a session like a really long session because i used to do these big records for i speak giant where we're like we'd we'd block out a weekend and we'd do like eight hour record saturday eight hour record sunday and and like come out of it being like my brain's like feels like it's melting out my ears um yeah it was, <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> the look you're giving me is, is is speaking volumes yes um we don't do that anymore yeah uh, for, uh, for the, i don't think i could listeners. do that anymore um josh's facial expression was one of existential dread and horror <laughs> um and i would come out of them feeling it's a very strange experience I and mean, people who dm'd know this feeling of like you're kind of, your brain is tired, but your body hasn't been doing anything. So it's a very strange feeling. Um, but I have found that being absorbed up into something that you can switch your brain off, but still be a little, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. So um, I have started a few hobbies that I feel like have been really positive for me. Like uh, that at the end of, the thing that I do, I have something tangible that I can be like, oh, I have a thing. Because you play four hours of D&D, and at the end, you have a lot of happy memories, but you don't have a thing. And sometimes, the way human brains are, like, I think, built a little bit, is to be like, oh, there's no thing, I didn't do a good thing. <laughs> like, there's no, I don't have a thing. So, therefore, bad. But, uh, for the first couple, for the first time, I, I picked up a few hobbies that, at the end, I have something tangible. Cooking. You have a meal that you can eat. Mm. I've done. I've started mini painting because at the end I have a little thing that I can look at. Um, I got into a bad habit, I think, of watching too many Let's Plays. Like, I would just want to sit and turn my brain off, so I would sit and just like turn YouTube on and like watch a game, someone play a game that I was interested in. And I think that's that's totally fine, and you should do that when you when you're feeling kind of worn out. But I started like being a bit more conscious and, and playing video games myself a little bit, which sounds ridiculous, but I think is uh, 
maybe something that people are going through right now no i, I um, think that's fair like i um i used to listen to let's drown out and play games like um like real like real serious dad games with dad game titles give me a second i'll i'll track one down because really like, really really like silly euro truck simulator that kind of i game? tried to play that and it was too dad game for me like <laughs> i yeah, i have a game one, one step. that's like oh it's called international shipping or something oh yeah that's a dad game. oh yeah. it, it's it's dad game the game for dads of dads <laughs> because like it's it's just the most like dull thing that you could just possibly play uh, uh, where is it uh transocean the shipping company there we are um free plug for you lads um yeah it, it's it's a great dad game because you can just like let it go but mm. but i agree like being able to do tangible stuff is, is very cool like i'm i'm i very much enjoy cooking and even started to learn how to cook vegetarian and vegan meals um because, because a we don't need that much animal protein per day really uh and and b a lot of them are very very healthy while being extremely affordable yeah and that's not yeah. a bad thing that's what like all i cook is vego not because i am my partner is but uh I, it's just how i learned to cook because i was when i learned to cook i was pretty skint so yeah a, a bag like, of lentils and a can of beans is like yeah, get you know. a lot of rice a lot of a lot of, lot of uh, chickpeas goes a long way <laughs> potatoes oh yeah um, I, I prefer sweet yeah potatoes, i think but i think finding a a tangible hobby is is can be really good and yeah having a uh, finding a little bit of entertainment that is a bit um uh, bit more active than merely watching. No, I'd, I'd agree. Like, engage body and mind and whatnot. It's good fun. And going out of the house, which is, I say, because I don't do that until unless my, my lovely, very kind better half uh, is like, hey, have you gone outside into the lovely sunshine? And I'm like, oh, I forgot to outside is a thing. And then I go outside and I'm like, wow. Isn't it great out here? Vitamin, <laughs> Sitting in a park. Vitamin D. Yeah. Vitamin D. Sitting in a park. It's good for the. It's good for the soul. Yeah. It, it almost just like calls to mind that bit um, in the IT crowd where Ross and uh, Moss and Roy are sitting outside, and like Moss is just playing video games on his laptop. <laughs> Look, I honestly, I've done the same thing. I brought my Switch to the park just because it's like. It will. It makes you feel like you're doing something a little bit more for some reason in your brain. You're like, ah, I'm doing something a bit more productive than just playing video games. I'm in the park. I'm outside playing, playing video, video games. games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Zach, where, where can I, I do want to say thank you very much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Um, this has been great. I, I do love to chat to other Australians because a I can do this from the comfort of my own home, which is lovely. Um, and you know, I, I, uh, Australians are fun. We're we're, we're an odd <laughs> look, we're an odd bunch. Yeah, I mean, for for a bunch of people that, according to the textbooks that I have, really only started having a national identity sometime in the nineteen forties. Um, that's why <laughs> like white, white Australians. Hot, um... Sorry, need to clarify. White Australians. Um, yeah, we're 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 a very fun bunch of people. I think. Um, Zach, where yeah. can people find you? Um, so you can Google "I Speak Giant." And it will bring up all the things that you can, the where you can find me. We have a website. We are on basically every uh, podcast app. 
Um, but also if you just Google Zach Speaks Giant or, or search for me on Twitter, Zach Speaks Giant, uh, my handle is my name, Zach Naum, which is a bit more hard to spell. Um, so just, just search for Zach Speaks Giant and I'll come up. So I do a podcast. I also do a stream every Friday, which has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, I've been doing a stream with some other like streamers, which has been a different vibe and is much more like kooky and, and silly and fun. And it's been a really, really good time. Um, but yeah, check out the podcast as well. I speak giant. It's, it's very much schlocky and a bit of a hatchet and a bit of diehard. Cool. Uh, and I can of course be found at nerdy people D N D. Uh, please do check out all the other interviews I've done. Um, very cool people agreed to you know answer questions that I ask for <laughs> periods of time, um, and yeah, uh, as I mentioned before, also we're currently doing an actual play of a, a very cut down and improved version of Curse of Strahd because you know he's a railway baron, it's steampunk, spaghetti western type thing, um, and look, he's not a sex criminal, so you know that's always a good change to make. I I think so, um, Zach. Again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. This was lovely.